Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, I am talking with John and a little bit of Mira, but mostly we're talking to John, who is the human in the human dog bike riding, bike adventuring, and bike packing duo that is John and Mira. In 2023, John and Mira became the first ever human and dog team to complete the Tour Divide route. And in 2023, they started on their journey to be the first ever human dog team to complete a world tour by traveling to all seven continents of the world. I'm sure many of you are familiar with John and Mira. They made a lot of waves last year on the Tour Divide and he has an excellent YouTube channel and social media following. So many people are aware of John Amira, and like many of you, I have completely become enamored and have fallen in love with them as a riding pair, and I was really excited to chat with both of them. So on today's episode, the first half of today's episode, we're going to be talking about John and Mira, their relationship, how they got started, as well as talk about some dog packing how-tos. John is an absolute expert in this field. He's been doing it for many, many years and has acquired a vast wealth of knowledge and information through his travels with Mira and with his first dog, Melon. So... I wanted to take this opportunity to really dig into some of the how-tos on how to go adventuring, bikepacking, bike touring with your dog. I know many of you are dog lovers, and so if you're looking to adventure with your furry friend, I hope that you'll find this episode helpful in getting you started on your journey in the outdoors with your dog. And then the second half of the episode, we're gonna be talking about his world tour, what his plans are, where he's at in the process so far, how he goes about planning his route, and we talk about his 2023 Tour Divide run. I truly enjoyed this episode. I think it was a lot of fun. I'm a huge fan of John and Mira, like I said, and I definitely think that we'll be catching up with them throughout their world tour and following along. So that's what we have for you on today's episode. But before we get into it, I'd like to share with you some information about the next event that Bikes or Death is hosting. And that is our second annual Bikepacking Basics Beginner Ride and Clinic, taking place on April 26th through the 28th. This time, Bikepacking Basics is going to East Texas. It's going to be headquartered at the Bullet Grill House in Point Blank, Texas, which is home to the East Texas Showdown. And we are going to be riding on some of the very same roads that made East Texas Showdown so popular. And the format for this year's event is going to be a little bit different. Instead of a two-day event, we're going to make it a three-day event. And I'll give you a brief overview of what that's going to look like. So on Friday evening, we're going to get to the Bullet Grill. And we are going to have presentations geared towards bikepacking basics. And the topics that we address are going to be curtailed directly to the people who register and sign up. So what I'm going to do is once everybody has signed up, we're gonna email everybody 
and survey you to find out what topics you are the most interested in learning about. And then we are going to develop a program specific to the needs of the people that are coming. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we're going to have an opportunity to put into practice the things that we learned. We are doing a bike camping trip in the Sam Houston National Forest. We'll leave directly from the Bullet Grill House. And there are actually two route options. So we have a route option that's about 42 miles and another one that's 32 miles. So you have a couple options there. But regardless of what route you choose, we're all going to meet at the same camp, which is a primitive camp in the Sam Houston National Forest. And at camp, Bikes for Death is gonna provide some beer and some refreshments. And we're going to have a little campfire chat about, you guessed it, bikepacking basics. Maybe talk about some of the things that went right, some of the things that went wrong, what they learned, and just have an open conversation about people's experience on the ride and just bikepacking in general. And then on Sunday morning, we'll load up and we ride back to the Bullet Grill House, probably hang out there, grab some food and a drink, and then we'll say our goodbyes. Registration is open now. We actually opened registration yesterday and had a pretty good little response. I'm happy to say I'm actually really excited about the demographics of the event so far. So real quick, we've had people from four states register so far. So obviously we have some people from Texas who registered, but we also have a couple people from Arkansas, a couple people from Florida, and from Washington. So people from all over the country are coming, which is absolutely amazing. That's so cool. And we hope to see more people from across the country. Uh, also, so far we are sitting at 63% of our attendees are women, which is awesome. I just want to express that my events are open to everyone, especially this one. We really want to make bikepacking and the outdoors accessible to everyone. And so some of the ways that we're doing that with this event are obviously through education, through having a couple route options, but also we will have a support vehicle there to assist. The support vehicle can be there to help you carry gear. If you don't have bikepacking bags, that's no problem. We can put it in the truck. We do encourage people to pack as much stuff as they can and get some experience bikepacking to whatever degree that they can, but there's no shame if you're just getting into it, you don't have the bags, you can throw your stuff in the truck and we'll bring it to camp for you. Likewise, if there's a mechanical, we'll have a mechanic on staff to help with any of that. And if we can't fix your problem, we can load you and your bike up in the truck and get you to camp that way. And the pace of these rides is going to be, as I like to say, pro-slow. We're gonna be going slow, we're gonna be taking breaks, stops to let everybody get back together, and we will have a ride leader and a ride sweeper on every route so that everybody gets to camp safely. The first time we did this, it was an absolute huge success, and we have learned a lot from that event, and version 2.0 of Bikepacking Basics is going to be even better, and I would love for you to join me. So if you'd like to learn more, of course, I will put the link in the show notes. 
but also you can find the information at bikesfordeath.com under our events tab. All right, that's all I got for you today, folks. Thanks for hanging in there with me. And now it is time to get to my chat with John and Mira. But first, let's have my friend Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. All right, let's hop into it. Cool, man. John. Sounds good. What's your last name, John? Freeman. John just, Freeman. Spelled just like it sounds. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure and, a, and an honor, actually. When you look at who you've had on the podcast, um, I was like, really? Okay, sure. Oh, yeah. You're an, e- yeah. you're an easy yes. You should have been on the podcast a long time ago. Uh, where's Mira right now? Mira is a sitting across from me behind the phone here, uh, taking a nap, <laughs> but she's okay. right with me. Yeah. Right. Always. She'll come and visit well, later. I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. I was hoping we'd like to get a, get a, yeah. a shot of Mira and get her, get her mm-hmm. some screen time since we're going to be talking about her a lot today, but don't yeah. wake her up. Don't wake her no, up. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's watching. So, she's, so let's uh, let's start off and have you give us just a brief introduction, an overview of what you're doing, what you're doing with Mira, what this big plan is and this goal is. Uh, just give, give us an overview of uh, what you got going on, what your plans are. Yeah, so, um, well, I'm, I'm uh, a bike packer, a dog packer. So I, I, I travel with my dog, which is Mira. She's a Border Collie. Uh, healer or uh, Australian cattle dog cross. So high energy, smart dog, always needs a job. And we are riding around the world. We're doing it a little bit differently maybe than than some people. I mean, that's a that's a fairly common thing, it seems, when you start digging through the internet. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping to go to all seven continents, um, six of them with Mira. And uh, so we are currently in uh, southern Mexico, just... Uh, attending to a few things and taking a bit of a break here in Oaxaca. And then we're, we'll be at the end of this month, which is uh, January. We're going to be headed uh, through Chiapas, our final state in Mexico, and off to Guatemala and through Central America. And, and um, yeah, so it'll, it'll go like that for a while where we're, we're uh, you know, riding and exploring and m- mainly on dirt and, um, and, and really just in, enjoy the experience of, of, uh, seeing the world uh, at our own pace. It's great. And it's, and it's a really wonderful thing doing it with a dog. Uh, you know, the, the amazing thing is that, you know, go through, say, a small village uh, or, you know, on market day or, or anything, and people will see the dog. It'll see Mira and they light up, they smile. And I'm adjacent to that. They sort of, they're, they're looking just past me. So it's an amazing <laughs> thing to go through the world where everyone is smiling at you and pointing and commenting and asking questions. So that's been something, um, yeah, it's a little unexpected. And I've been riding with a dog now for about 
uh, eight years, uh, oh. a dog previous to Mira. I've done a lot of riding in, in Spain and uh, many times across the United States, north and south, uh, into Mexico through Baja and uh, lots through Western Canada. So it's oh my uh, something that's, that's, um, that's uh, yeah, if, uh, definitely adapted to uh, both the dogs have and, and, and I have too. So it's, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. That's amazing. I had no idea you had a, had another dog before Mira. So you've really been doing this for a long time. Yeah. And we're going to get into uh, all of your travels and what your plans are. Uh, but by way of getting to know you a little bit more, what what do you do for work? What is your work life like that allows you to even previous to Mira and this this big cycling the world with with Mira? You've been doing this a while, man. How are you able to? Uh, what's your job uh, that allows you to do this kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's a common question. Um, there's kind of th- there's kind of two sides to that. So in the I am trained as a as an alpine guide with the uh, Association of Canadian Mountain Guides in Canada. I'm also um, trained and, and have a lo- lot of work time as a rope access technician, rope access supervisor. So if people have seen, you know, on TV or YouTube or in person, someone working on, a, say, a wind turbine or washing windows, those are the techniques that we use. But I work primarily in oil and gas or other industrial settings um, from rope. And I do some uh, safety consulting on um, on movies, movie sets if they're shot in the mountains or or high angle terrain, and resource exploration. So that could be uh, different minerals, uh, but again in mountainous terrain. And so I can work uh, contracts chunks of time and then not work. So it appears like I don't work, but I do in these big chunks. And then now it's been kind of this evolution because uh, you know, you know. I'm traveling quite a bit and I'm trying to find a way where I can continue to travel and not stop and then and go back primarily to Canada to work. So there's a greater presence online, uh, you know, with Instagram and YouTube primarily and and uh, making videos, sharing our trips. I mean, we're seeing beautiful places and we're having interesting interactions and and I have, you know, I have a happy, energetic dog and. And that's entertaining, and and uh, I hope for people, and um, oh, yeah. so they can they can see our our YouTube channels, and then um, along with that, in preparation, and I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it for the for the tour divide. I started working very closely with um, a Can- another Canadian, um, a veterinary surgeon, a consulting vet, and we are starting a a new website, uh, which is basically designed to provide inspiration and education for people that own dogs or that have dogs that uh, want to do different adventures. And and that is called dogpacking.com. So there's kind of a few things that we're trying to, you know, eke out a living. Um, but the real, the real uh, magic is that I live a very simple life. Um, you know, I have very few possessions that are in storage. I don't have a house. I don't have an apartment. I don't have a car. Uh, you know, I'm in a country, Mexico, where the food costs, accommodation costs are less than in Canada, or the United States or in Europe. And uh, so I can stretch the dollars that I do earn uh, pretty far. And, um, and I try to take care of my bike. And obviously, I take care of my dog and, and live a simple life. So <laughs> that's how I'm able to make it work so yeah. far. And um, yeah, hopefully I can can continue on 
doing these these things because I love it. It's great. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's um it's what I hear time and time again from people who want to prioritize traveling, whatever in whatever format, seeing the world. Uh, you have to make it a priority and figure out ways to juggle different sources of income. Uh, you may or may not know I started the podcast primarily as a way to offset my own travel cost. I was traveling all over just the United States at that time. And I was like, man, how can I write off all this as a business expense? And I was like, mm -hmm. I'll just start a podcast. I'll go into wherever I'll interview someone there. And then the whole thing was a podcasting trip, you know? And so uh, I get it, you know, I'm, I'm trying to juggle and figure out ways to make the thing that you really want to do um, a, a real feasible and attainable thing. And it usually takes a lot of juggling. It's not a, uh, most people don't have a job that'll just allow them to go and do this kind of stuff. So it takes a lot of juggling in the background. Um, yeah, it, gonna... it does it, but, but sorry to cut you off there, but, but oh, enough people are doing it like yourself. It's a good example. We can kind of learn from these things. And, and, um, I think there's, there's an opening for people to, to live a, a slightly different life than maybe yeah. we uh, well, thought when we were young. It's such it's such an important thing that I like to try to promulgate. And it's why I asked a lot of people, like, what do you do for a living that allows you to do this? Because it's not it is getting to know you, but it's also like helping people understand what it takes and also giving them inspiration. Be like, oh, yeah, you can do this, too. But it takes a lot of sacrifice to, to do it. You know, you've got to live a really simple life and got to have to probably have a threshold for inconsistent income and uh, and that kind of stuff. but. If it's worth it to you, you can have this kind of life. And I agree, it's not the uh, go to school and get a degree and buy a house and 2.5 kids and you know just the typical, at least in America, the typical life plan that you're kind of presented with all through school. And and it's 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 uh, reflected in the conversations with your parents and at school and with your friends and where are you going to college and when are you getting married and all this kind of stuff. And so it's it's important that it's not just like, oh, look at John and Mira going doing this, but like also a, a little peek behind uh, how you make it actually work, you know. Uh, so I was going to ask you what came first, Mira or bikepacking, um, but what, what was your first dog's name? Uh, Melon. Melon? Uh, he was a border collie. Yeah. Melon Collie. Melon Collie. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> so when and, did you and, first get, were you first a dog owner that got into bikepacking or were you a bikepacker that became a dog owner? Or like, where was the confluence that did this confluence of dog packing uh, meet? Yeah. I mean, it goes back a long time. I mean, I've, I've had dogs in the family and myself since I was a young kid and there was definitely a, a, a long period where I didn't have one. Um, you know, I just couldn't afford the cost and I wasn't, you know, I was, um, racing bicycles actually. So there was no time for, for that. Um, yeah, I, I think probably the bikes came first. Uh, I'm old enough to, to remember when mountain bikes became first commercially available and I borrowed one from a local shop and took it out for a ride. And what we call bikepacking now, I thought that's what they were for initially. Like I, 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 that just made sense to me. And, and then I quickly learned, well, no, no, you're supposed to race these things. Uh, so, so that, so that took over a, a time for, you know, took over my life for, for quite a while. Um, 
but then when I wanted to go, you know, bike touring, uh, I just didn't want to leave my dog behind. And uh, I did a, a some Google searching like we do to try and figure out, you know, how this is done. And for off-road riding, you know, typically the bikepacking style, mainly dirt, there there weren't really any examples of of how to do that. And so, yeah, I just figured it out, um, did a couple of trials and, and uh, sort of settled on a single wheel trailer and uh, packed it all up and learned how to get my dog to Europe. Um, and, and we, uh, yeah, we made a flight to Spain and we spent uh, six months there riding around and um, learning how to, to do what we call dog packing now. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So Let's talk a little bit more about Mira. Give us an introduction to Mira. You already told us that she's a, a border collie mix. Is that right? A border collie. Yeah, healer. that's right. Border collar, border collar healer. Uh, were, were, when you were thinking about getting another dog, were you thinking about a specific breed that you uh, believe would work well as a dog packing dog? I have to imagine at this point, you're like kind of committed to this lifestyle. So you're thinking, okay, I need a dog that can be up to the physical task of what I'm going to be able to, what I'm wanting to do. Uh, what was your thought process there? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of all those things and, and some other things too. I mean, I think any, any dog can work, um, to go to do this kind of thing. Uh, you just have, you have to be willing to adapt to the dog. The dog's going to set the the tone of, how far they can run and, and how much they weigh and, and so how that affects. Um, I had actually uh, tragically lost my, my previous dog uh, hit by a car. And I was thinking, well, maybe I don't want to have a, a dog in my life for a while. because That's going to be simpler travel um, on, you know, honestly, it's, it's the logistics of going through an airport or um, just day to day, you know, it's, it adds to it. It adds the, the weight and all those kind of things. But I've always had border collie or border collie cross type dogs. You know, they're super active. They're intelligent. They're pretty loyal. They're you know they're uh, curious. So they're a lot of fun. And so it just made sense. And um, I came across a. Um, I wasn't sure if I would get a border collie or a or a healer this this time. And and uh, came across. I saw an ad online and i thought oh i'll just go out and take a look at the you know to this ranch and take take a look to see what they have and of course that's never gonna you know end without a a, a puppy in your arms <laughs> yeah and uh and so she was i she was three months old which is the the youngest that you can fly uh at least into europe with uh because of the vaccination requirements Okay. And so as a puppy, we, we went back to Europe and, um, and, she, and, it, and that was really hard actually, because she didn't, she didn't know all the commands of a, of an older dog. And she just got heavier and heavier and heavier <laughs> as a puppy. And then she couldn't really run, uh, very, you know, very far, very fast. That's a good way to, to injure your dog. If you start to, you know, push them too hard, too, too early. And so, um, yeah, we've just kind of, uh, created this life together, you know, where I, I don't think of traveling without her. I rarely go anywhere without her. And, um, and yeah, so it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been great. Yeah. How old is she now? She's six years old. So she's, oh my yeah, gosh. her entire life. She's been, she's been doing this. 
Yeah. Yeah. This is mind blowing. So, you know, one of my questions was like, I had to assume that there was a lot of training and practice rides and all this before you um, decided to, you know, kind of really take on a big trip. But instead, you took a puppy and uh, taught her from the very beginning, like, hey, this this is your life. It seems yeah. like so. My question: How well did she take to that? I assume adapted pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I think really well. I mean, it's also for the for the for the human in the equation to be able to adapt as well. I mean, um, you know, the, to know if she's going to be okay inside of a tent, or she's going to jump outside of the basket or the trailer, or how she yeah. reacts to other dogs or other people, and like with anyone that that has had dogs in their life just really clear and consistent boundaries for the dog really help them and um and so yeah it really did work out pretty well uh i do remember being frustrated um you know with you know because she's a puppy like they take a lot <laughs> they need a lot of energy uh yeah. you know directed towards them and, and attention um you know and and they're, they're not like the dog you had previously that knew everything so that that was tough um but yeah no it was it was it was yeah it was great and it's um and it's been good ever since and it just gets better and better and better and and she you know, it's not like I'm I'm forcing her to do it. She loves it. If I move the bicycle and she hears a freewheel move or I put on my shoes or anything like that, she comes running. She's excited to go. She gets to run. She gets to jump in and out of the basket and, um, you know, explore the world. It's like, ha- and then when we're on the bicycle, it's like her having her head out the car window all day long. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's pretty awesome from a, from a dog standpoint. It's hard to get much yeah. better. I think yeah, so, anyone yeah, who has spent any time watching uh, your YouTube channel or follows you on Instagram, but really like your YouTube channel is great. Um, you really get a sense for how well Mira is enjoying the trip, but also like your love for that dog is unparalleled. Like y- you, you genuinely love that dog and, and take such excellent, excellent care of her. And it's, it's really a it's a beautiful relationship. I really I really enjoy uh, watching y'all out there on your adventures together. I'm I'm wondering though, like as we're talking about you know training a dog to um, be a dog packing dog, like some of the concerns that enter my mind are, you know, what if she jumps out and wants to chase wildlife, and she if she's leashed up, she might pull you off your bike or. Um, maybe run into the woods and you lose her. Or I, I had a dog, I actually had a uh, Australian shepherd. I, she went with my ex-wife in a divorce, but, um, I tried to take that dog just trail riding. You know, I was trying to teach it to be a trail dog and, uh, it would always bite my tires. At one time, like bit my tire and caused it to go flat. And I'm like, okay, well that, you know, that was, and you know, they're herding dogs. So it makes sense to try to herd the bike the whole time. So are there any, were there any like issues with that or did Mira just kind of uh, figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been pretty lucky to be honest, but, um, I mean, that being said, her safety is my priority. And, and I'm, and I'm, it's kind of you to say that you like the, the relationship between myself and Mira comes across in the videos. I, I, um, it's genuine. So I'm, I'm glad that it comes, comes across that way. 
Yeah, the safety is a, a, a big thing. I mean, uh, you know, being able to make sure I don't run her too hard and, and injure her. Um, she's exposed to different things, say, you know, here in Mexico, you know, fleas, ticks, other internal parasites. And then, um, yeah, the basket actually sits about a meter off the ground, so about three feet. And she's in and out of the basket a tremendous number of times, you know, especially, you know, if the terrain is up and down, she weighs 40 pounds. So if I can unload 40 pounds from the bicycle on a steep hill, I'm, I'm going to do it. And, um, and so, yeah, I've learned some techniques over time to, and sort of, you know, try to think of them in advance before I, before she gets injured. And so she wears a harness, just a, a regular dog harness um, that connects the connection point is, uh, sort of mid, mid back. And so I give her a little tug when she goes to jump up into the basket. And I also ease off the landing impact when she, when she jumps out of the basket and, but she is really well controlled in terms of commands. You know, I can reach back on the leash and she'll know it's time to jump out, but I can have her wait. Or if we're on single track trail, I can give her the command behind and she'll stay behind the bicycle so that I can have the interactions with, you know, maybe people on the trail or other animals or livestock, that kind of thing. So it's, yeah. And then, you know, here there's lots of unleashed dogs that, that make a lot of racket and bark and, and some of them are aggressive. Um, you know, that happens everywhere in the world. And and, and so just being able to manage those kind of things are, are super important. And um, yeah, it's, it's those kind of questions. That's why we've, we've started dogpacking.com. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the main thing. And, and, and so if, if there's, you know, if I think something's going to cause injury to her or there's some kind of situation, I'll do my best to avoid it or control it or somehow mitigate um, you know, those situations, because uh, this doesn't work if I, in, if I allow my dog to be injured, you know, so yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's really important. Yeah. I mean, that not only injures your dog, but it creates uh, a situation for you where you might be in the middle of nowhere and you need to care for your dog. And that's, I mean, that becomes an emergency situation pretty quickly. So, uh, it, I think it's better for all parties. And it's also uh, important for me too. Like I'll, like I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that I control my speed or just be a bit more cautious sometimes because I, I don't want to get injured because she's relying on me um, as well. If I end up, you know, in the hospital mm. um, or needing care from other people, you know, what happens to her? So it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 if you think about it too much, it'll, it'll hurt your head. It's, it's a little stressful. Yeah. My, uh, my relationship with this kind of concept is, you know, taking my kids bike packing. And whenever you said like, you're kind of living adjacent to like all the attention being on them. And I have a tandem bike where I, and then I have a trailer bike that attaches on the back. And so all three of us are like in a train going, even if we just ride <laughs> around the block or, you know, if we go on a trip, all eyeballs are on you, you know, people are pointing and looking and, uh, but like taking kids in the outdoors comes with a lot of risk and you have to maintain them and yourself. And so that's kind of the way I, I've never taken a dog, uh, dog packing before, but, um, I can kind of relate to it. I think kids and dogs, there's obviously like a lot of similarities. Uh, there's some differences, uh, whenever my kids poop in the woods, I have to 
hold them up, you know, so nothing touches them and I'm their toilet. And, you know, you don't have to do that with mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. And I think there's different levels you can go at, but probably your view of having it, you know, going out with your kids is my, my same thing with Mira is that the benefits of it far outweigh the risks normally. Right. I mean, they're learning about the world and they're interacting with things and they're being stimulated and, and um, you can just see the joy and the memories that you create. I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really worthwhile. And, and with a bit of forethought, you can manage the risks, um, you know, where you go and when you go and, and uh, the equipment you, you bring and the pace that you go at. Um, yeah. You just need to be sensible about these things. Yeah. I can imagine, I mean, there are so many people who are just fanatics for, for dogs, dog lovers, specifically probably their dogs. You know, some people, all dogs. I saw the bumper sticker yesterday, tell your dog, I said, hi. I mean, you know, people love their dogs and I can imagine uh, you as inspiration. You're the only person I know that really does this. I don't, I don't know if there's a, a, a small community I'm not aware of, but I can imagine you have a lot of people who are, Hey, how do I, how do I do it? And as we're talking, it's very obvious. Like there are a lot of logistical things and practical things that you have to consider to be successful. And so I wanted to take a little time and, uh, and, and go through some of the things maybe that you've done and you've learned to, uh, make this successful and be able to take on a big challenge, like a world tour. And I think a good place to start with that is, is with your bike. Like what bike are you riding? And maybe you can throw, you know, talk about the basket and, and how you set the bike up for dog packing. Yeah. Um, so I, I have used a couple of different setups, but now, uh, I've used a trailer and a, a variety of different mountain bikes. And I think uh, because I'm mainly riding on on dirt and that works for a lot of people. Um, there's a couple of different single wheel trailers out there and they track really well for single track. Um, and then they're reasonably light and they're pretty low to the ground. So the dog can get in and out. Um, and uh, you're but, keeping the weight off the bike. So obviously, I, you yeah. know, I know from having kids, like when you add a person to your bike that you're on versus a trailer and the trailer adds a weight too, and there's a whole dynamic there, but it's, it's, it's a different riding uh, experience for sure. Yeah. It's not all sitting on the, on the, on the back wheel. And so the, like equipment balance handling is less affected by having that weight there than if you just start piling it on to a regular bicycle. But over time, what I discovered was that, you know, having that extra piece of equipment, the extra wheel to manage and, and those sort of things, I just felt like, and then also how it rides, um, particularly off-road when it's unloaded, the, 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 re the rear wheel of the trailer will bounce quite a bit, particularly with the Bob style trailer. There's um, a company, I think they're based in California, uh, Farfare Trailers, which mounts higher at the seat post. I think it bounces less, but they don't always track as well. So it gets pretty rowdy, these, these wheels bouncing around behind the bike. Um, and then even, you know, this is sort of a, this is a real niche inside baseball kind of thing, but trying to get that all inside of a small European elevator was, was a, was a bit of a pain sometimes. Yeah. And I got to thinking and, and so, um, 
Salsa used to make a bike called the Blackboro. And since COVID, they've, you know, all these companies have sort of consolidated their manufacturing, just a, you know, a few little items, and maybe they just didn't sell enough of them. But I tell you, I get enough requests now for where I can find a, where can I find a, a salsa Blackboro um, that they could probably bring it back. So I, I, I had to sponsor bike. you in the process. Yeah, well, actually, that's interesting because I am working with another company currently to do a new version of the bicycle that I'm currently riding. So this has been an evolution. It's basically um, a mid-tail bike, which now we start to see in popularity with uh, Jay Peterberry and yeah. his, you know, his uh, unearthed. Um, yeah, exactly. And and so, um, yeah, that w- what that really allows for is the is this basket. Um, on the back of the bike to be over the axle and to be pretty well balanced. So the bike handles pretty well when it's loaded with Mira and her food and my equipment. Um, You know, it's basically 40 or 50 pounds more than an average person's bikepacking setup. And yet still handles pretty well when it's unloaded, which is a big ask for a bicycle. So I've had this evolution. I think a good entry uh, point for people is still the trailer because you don't have to buy a special bike and you mm-hmm. can take it on and off and and for you know if you want to just go ride the single track with your dog you know you ride to an area that's known for that you could you could do that as well but for our use um yeah this custom made um mid-tail fat bike actually although i'm riding uh you know r- sort of a, a normal uh width like a sort of a 2.6 2.3 2.4 width tire with uh, a pinion gearbox and uh, gates carbon belt on it. So it's kind of a unique uh, bike for sure. That's really adaptable to... to, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was wondering, do you have to run mid-tail or sorry, do you have to run belt drive on a mid-tail? Or I was wondering why why belt drive on your bike? Because I could see with the longer chain stay, the shifting might not be as good. I'm not really sure, but why belt drive? Because I noticed in a couple of your videos and one of them, it's squeaky. So you put soap on it, which I thought is a great tip uh, to, yeah. to lessen the squeaking. But also, you know, if they break, that's not a, a part that uh, most bike shops are going to carry. So I assume you're carrying extra belts. Um, so, yeah, I was curious, like what precipitated like your your decision to go with belt drive? Yeah, I mean, that that's really a simple one. It's it's um, so just to back up a little bit uh a a chain derailleur system that's you know the super common regular setup whether it's a one by or a three by doesn't matter those will all work on a mid-tail um it's it's not so much of an issue and the and the shifting these days is still really crisp um even with you know long cables if it's manual and i'm sure with uh you know access or di2 it's uh it's super crisp it doesn't really much matter the belt and the pinion drive for me was just about cost and durability um during covid i think that particular year i rode something approaching thirty thousand kilometers in the year and and i just and like you know at that time um i was riding a sram one by system chains were not available very easily um even though that's a very durable chain so and they're expensive. I mean, I think now there's there's something just under seventy U.S. dollars, but then the rear cluster is several hundred dollars. Bottom brackets, 
and they just wear out is the thing. And so with the pinion, I can get 10,000 kilometers in between oil changes. Um, I can even push that quite a bit. And, and they just keep going and going and going. And I can, you know, I have a, a much wider range of gears. I can shift without pedaling while I'm stopped. So, you, you know, you, you can keep your, you know, your stance stable coming into a little dip and change gears instead of having to spin the pedals very quickly to get into an easier gear or the alternative is to shift under a heavy load and your bike's already weighted. So it's, that's a tough combination. And I need to get maybe Mira out of the basket. So there's a lot of things going on there. Whereas this, I just turn my wrist, the belts, they last longer than a chain. Um, they do squeak. That's one of the things that happens in, in really dusty conditions. Mm-hmm. But like you said, a little bit of soap, a little sprinkle of water and they quiet right up. They last longer. They're pretty light. So I just carry a spare one. And if I do break one, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's pretty rare, but they do. I mean, I don't, I, I'll ride them till they break as opposed to changing them. Um, whereas a chain, you might measure the pitch change in your chain with a little, mm-hmm. you know, a little device and swap it out. It's typical, like in the, in the tour divide, people swap them, you know, mid race because they're, they're, sure. they're wearing out and then they're going to spend less money on the, on the gear cluster. Um, but you know, for our long-term travel, the belt, um, you know, Gates belt works amazing and, uh, paired up with, with the pinion system, or you could use roll off, but, but I like the pinion with the weight centrally located and, you know, wide range of gears and yeah, super easy to service, um, you know, with the oil change. So yeah, it's, it's great, but it's not required, you know, a, a simple straight up, uh, regular gear system will work just fine. Yeah. I, I'm admittedly not the most knowledgeable whenever it comes to belt drive. So I didn't, I didn't realize that you could shift them without turning your, uh, turning, you know, the, the pedal, which is really interesting. I can imagine the benefit also the benefit of, uh, just the, the variety of weights that you're experiencing on your ride specifically, when you add Mira to the bike versus not, that's 40 pounds, which uh, which you can obviously see the benefit of having a wider gear range. What do you, yeah. what is the gear range as it relates to like a typical one by 11 or one by 12 setup? Do you happen to know? Yeah, they, they, yeah, it's a little confusing even to me. And I use the thing. They, they say it's 600% difference, but basically what it feels like if I had a, a, a typical SRAM one by, you know, 12 speed, um, say 10 to 52 or whatever, I think it, it is. It's, it's kind of like having a, another gear easier and another gear at the other end harder. And the steps are uniform, which is also really nice. Mm. So um, typically what I find with the SRAMs is that they're basically into three sections. So you have gearing that's quite close down at the small end of the, of the cluster and then there's slightly bigger steps through the middle section of, of the gearing. And then the last two or maybe three are really big steps mm-hmm. between it. So it's, it's really nice and predictable. I, I can just, you know, the, and the, the indexing happens within the, the gearbox, not at the shifter. So it's very easy to set up. Um, and there's no adjustment required once you have the cable tension just to give it enough space to move around. Um, yeah, that so that is kind of nice. I I have a a gear, you know, for 
downhill with a little tailwind and I have a gear for a heavily loaded bike uh, at altitude on a steep, uh, loose dirt slope. So it's a, it's a real wide range to, to, to play with. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. I've been paying real close attention to, uh, how you set up your bike and it's, it's really, it's very curious because you know, you're not just carrying your stuff, which I think most people listening to podcasts are pretty familiar with what you need, uh, to take on your bike to sustain your life and maintain your bike and all that kind of stuff. But what are, what additional things are you taking, um, just for Mira? And, and I don't, yeah, let's start there. Yeah. With, with Mira, obviously it's food. So primary, primarily that's, uh, you know, kibble, the kind of stuff that you would, you would buy, you know, matter where you are in, in the world, pretty much. Um, and then the interesting thing is in the, in, in Canada and the U S um, the smallest bag typically available or commonly available is about two kilograms. So somewhere about four or five pounds. And so I try to, you know, time that. So, but sometimes you can't, you know, like the, you know, there's a big gap or there's no stores, but I still have, you know, a couple of pounds of food. So I have to buy that bag. And so there's that food, um, her, her medications, her monthly medications. So that's for, uh, flea and tick and, and internal parasites, heartworm and the mm -hmm. like. And I have, um, a medication. It's a simple one tablet and I just do it once a month. And, uh, and that covers her for all those needs. And then uh, some nail clippers. No, most of her, her her nails get worn down. There's no mm. problem. But the little dew claws in the front, I give those a little trim, a little brush to uh, you know help keep her coat looking healthy. And then I have a little uh, uh, toothbrush that fits under my finger so I can give her, <laughs> her keep her teeth and her gums healthy. And then uh, Rexpex goggles. Um, yeah, so like I these, want to talk about the yeah, goggles. These, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty cool, actually. Um, certainly when you're moving, when they, when we're standing still, they, they look a bit much, but it, you know, it just, I wear sunglasses all the time, protects my eyes from the sun and the wind and the, and the grit. Um, sounds like you might actually have a sunglass problem, uh, from what I, I, I came across in one of the, the podcasts, but, um, yeah, it's just protect your eyes. And, uh, there's nothing, and I, I, it just makes me sad when I see, you know, an older dog and, you know, their eyes have gone cloudy or they've been injured, picking their head out the window or they've been struck by something. So, um, yeah, just an, an, a piece of protection for her. And then I also have uh, some dog booties, some very lightweight ones that are mm -hmm. um, made by a company that makes them for um, uh, dog mushers primarily dogbooties.com it's little uh, cottage industry shop and they're super cheap they're like three dollars a paw and uh you know it just helps with uh maybe uh, cactus thorns or if you're in a climate where they're where they're salting the roads or sidewalks you know keep keep that off there um she doesn't usually need to wear them but it's mostly for for um you know, for the, for the cactus, any, any of the sharp kind of stuff. But if she was to get an injury, I could, you know, I could patch up the paw and then mm. put this over as a cover. Um, if I, if I don't have vet vet wrap or anything for the paw. So it's, um, yeah, that's kind of it. And then, and then I have a few extra things within my first aid kit, um, like vet wrap, for example, which is just like a self adhesive, um, sort of tape, 
to keep gauze or other things on and it has a bit of a bitter taste so a dog's not likely to lick at it and oh, chew on it smart um yeah and then uh yeah that's kind of it well maybe some yeah i have a flea i have a sorry a um a pain uh killer for her uh gabapentin and then a few other items that uh my veterinarian veterinarian has uh has recommended and provided for us to uh, to carry along but not not a lot of stuff I know this varies based on, uh, you know, distance and and the climate you're in and all this, you know, how much food, how much water, but, uh, you mentioned Mira weighs 40 pounds. Do you have a sense for, uh, how much additional weight or how much total weight you're carrying whenever you're loaded up with her food, her water, all of her stuff and everything, just everything you need to go bikepacking, dogpacking to be specific? Yeah, it's it's about 50 pounds, I would say, probably sometimes a little bit over if we need more water, and then a little bit under. And I was shocked to discover on the Tour Divide, I was, uh, I was riding adjacent to another competitor during the Grand Depart, and her whole bike loaded was less than just Mira and her stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, less. It was something just over forty pounds was her setup. Yeah. Um, so which you can do if you're going setup. faster. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I can't go that much faster. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, you. Yeah, got, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was thinking though, yeah. like, have you ever, uh, have you ever thought about entering a race? Now, you've got to be in just phenomenal shape, you know, carrying around all that extra weight. Uh, you've done this for many, many years. You, you're, you've got to be in pretty doggone good shape to use a little pun there uh have you ever thought about entering a race now without mira just to see how 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 fit you really are i mean i've thought about it for sure um but i would honestly i I, yeah i don't know i've thought about it but i've never pulled the trigger on it um it's a specific type of fitness you know i i i can you know i'm carrying definitely way more weight I'm not sure how it would translate. Sometimes I think it would be great, you know, to, to the, the kind of um, watts I can put out, um, you know, because I've been carrying this heavy load. And then what I've experienced too, like I, I can't, I, I've often ridden with uh, a close friend of mine, Ryan Van Duzer, who's on mm-hmm. YouTube that many of your, your uh, listeners would, would know his videos. I think he was on the and, podcast episode num- number 98. I think I, he was on the show. Oh, wicked. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's a high energy guy. He's, he's yeah. awesome. And I watched all of y'all's um, videos together and, uh, your Oaxaca dirt tour, tour. I watched the whole thing. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, and so he's kind and that he'll slow down when Mira, uh, jumps back into the basket. Cause I do stop the bike for her to jump back in so that she doesn't miss. And it's, it's a, it's a sizable jump. Um, but he'll soft pedal or stop, um, you know, if need be for us. Um, but generally we're able to ride at a pretty close to the same pace and, and Ryan's pretty fit. He does, you know, ultra marathons and, and, um, you know, runs mountain and he's, you know, an experienced and skilled cyclist so that I can keep a pace that he's not waiting for me all the time. That's an indication to me that I'm, uh, yeah fairly strong on the bike. Um, but I got no illusion. I mean, the, the, you know, like I'm, I'm 53 now. I, I have raced bikes in the past. I have done a, 
you know, a lot of other different sports at a, at a fairly high level. But, you know, if we're talking about uh, the events that are going on these days, um, you know, these guys are younger, they're, they're fitter, they're, 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 um, they're focused on these events. So um, I think I would probably just be a little disappointed. And I would also miss the, the partnership of having Mira with me. Yeah. It's, it, it just wouldn't have the same appeal. Um, yeah. So it's, it's great. What I break down, like, what is it like to, um, you know, specific, like be on the road or the trail with a dog? Like, when is she jumping out? When is she riding in the basket? How often are you um, having to attend to her needs as far as food and water and stopping for all these things? Like, what what is you know because that's that's an approach to bikepacking that we're not used to you know i mean what is what are your expectations how do you yeah set appropriate expectations for going on a bikepacking trip with a dog because we're used to maybe maintaining 10 12 14 mile an hour average you're not going to do that with a dog uh so yeah can you give us an idea of like what that actually looks like yeah I'm not far off that average, I think. Wow. Um, All right. You are strong. <laughs> um, but, it, but it really, de- it really depends on the terrain. Um, yeah. the, the easiest terrain for us, just like with everyone is flat. And then, and for that, uh, Mira is mainly in the basket. The basket is, is kind of that size where she's snugly fit in there. It's really well padded. Um, that's a, that's a key thing. So, so, um, the bottom of the basket inside and then the rim is also padded. So that uh, she's comfortable in there, and then she'll stand up in that. She's super well balanced. But what she'll do is she'll uh, lean against my lower back. So I, she's got almost a you know a fifth point of contact, and she'll we'll both know you know how she's reacting, depending on you know if I'm using the brakes or accelerating or turning, that kind of thing. But she's basically surfing along as in the basket as she stands up. And so on the flats, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And, it, and only if she wants to stretch her legs, do I have her out and, and uh, going beside me. Um, if it's just a big climb or a super steep climb, then she's, she jumps out of the basket. And she does that on command. I'll reach back and, and grab the leash, like I said before, just to ease the landing onto the ground. And, um, and so, yeah, then she'll just trot beside me. And then on this, on the steep hills, I'm going at a pace where, she, you know, she can, cause she can run at 30 kilometers an hour, uh, okay. on the flats, but, you know, just trotting beside me, if we're doing, you know, eight or 10 kilometers an hour, sorry, I don't know the conversion. So, so easily. Um, but yeah, you're, you're going up a hill. She's just trotting beside me. She's, she's comfortable. When we get to the top of the hill or the rise, then I stop the bicycle. And then she'll jump into the basket again. And I just give a little tug, a well-timed tug to help her clear the lip. And then, um, and then off we go. We uh, go again. So that's where it's nice to be able to change gears without having to pedal. If I get up to the, you know, the, the hill and it's time to go off, off the end, I can just go into a bigger gear and off we go. Or if there's you know, other terrain or I've misjudged it, I can, I can change the gears with the extra load. And then she'll just be comfortably in the basket. If it's if it's smooth terrain on asphalt, she's laying down. And if it's a bit bumpier or more technical, she'll stand up. And like I said, she'll lean against me. The, the terrain, or if it's really rough going down or single track, then I'll have her out of the basket. Um, you know, my brakes can only take so much. I have, you know, four piston brakes and large mm-hmm. rotors. But I mean, 
you know, add that kind of weight and things heat up pretty fast. Um, even though mine do very, very well, I have, you know, aftermarket rotors from Swiss stop and, and these great pads that don't tend to fade, but it's a lot to ask of them. Um, but it's, it's the terrain that other riders wouldn't really notice that I find super hard. It's this, it's sort of, you know, low angle, like, um, rail grade type stuff, three, four, five, you know, getting into maybe 8%. That for me is hard because knowing when I should have her out of the basket or back in the basket, um, you know, and then to have that extra weight grinding up that, that's where I noticed the, the biggest difference. And that, that and that's tough. Um, you know, yeah, and there's a lot and, of that on the Tour Divide. <laughs> yeah, as part of the hard. dilemma there is knowing, you know, how long is this climb going to last? Is it worth you know, unloading or loading her back up or just slogging it out. Is that part of the dilemma? Yeah, that, that really is the the decision matrix there. And then it's also, you know, what part, what part during the day it happens. Like, you know, if we're just going, if we're just traveling like we are regularly, it's not so bad. I, you know, I can either slow down or have her out of the basket and we could always, you know, if there's a lot of climbing, I could always shorten the day. For example, it's it's not so much of an issue, but you know, if you're on the clock, for example, then then it's a, a bit more complex. You know, you need to manage your dog's output as well as your own, and try and find that balance. Um, you know, you know, how long do you keep them in? Do you get them out? And then also knowing that I'm going to stop the bike for her to get back in. You know, I slow down, stop and then accelerate that actually ends up being a chunk of time. And, and so, you know, when I'm riding with someone like, like Ryan, for example, it's, it's, it's super awesome that they, they slow down uh, at that moment. Cause otherwise they're, you know, they're 20 meters ahead of us. if they just keep the, keep the pace going. Oh, yeah. So it's uh yeah. So that, that all kind of plays into it. Um, you know, just the managing her in and out of the basket and it probably happens, you know, a lot of times with sort of rolling terrain, maybe it could be a hundred times in a day that she's in and out of the basket. So it's a really regular occurrence that's happening constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 What, one other thing that I was thinking of that it, I, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, we all go into unfamiliar towns and uh, have to leave our bike outside of a restaurant or a grocery store while we go inside um you got mira so how do you yeah i have to i mean you don't want anyone taking your bike you definitely don't want anyone taking mira what do you what do you do when you go into towns and uh how do you manage that you know what that part's super easy it's amazing okay i leave her she's comfortable in the basket it's like her little home and i just loop the the leash i have goes around my waist so i'm not hanging on to the leash and it's got a little bit of a bungee to it and so I just take that that loop and I put it through the back wheel and that stops the bike from rolling one way or the other. And she just chills in the basket. She's safe from other dogs. And I've, I have this theory I, and I don't have any reason to, to disbelieve it, which is I think you, you can't hold these two conflicting emotions or thoughts or, or vibrations, however you want to characterize it, at the same time. So if someone's a dog lover and they want to come and say hello to Mira, they will. And she's, she's really friendly and, and, um, 
you know, she's not going to bite someone and she loves to get the attention. And those interactions and she's are also be not fine. being like super protective of her property and her home and her place and all that kind of no. stuff. No, As you know, I was just in a parking lot at a grocery store recently. Someone had their dog in the back with the window rolled down, which you shouldn't do, but uh, that's what they did. And the dog was, like, you know, and that's that's common dog behavior. Yeah, it really is. But this is the thing that I think when some if someone's mentality is I want to steal some of the stuff off my bike or steal the bike. They think dogs are aggressive. They think dogs are are dangerous. They're guard dogs. Yeah. And and she might pick up on that. I don't know that she will. Um, I mean, she'll bark at people that come to our campsite at night if 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 that kind of thing does happen. Um, but yeah, I, I think it just people see the dog and they're like, I'm not gonna get bit if they're coming in to steal something. But I don't yeah, I don't think you can like it's it's hard to have those two you know, kind of like it's like a love and a hate kind of thing, whatever, however you want to characterize it. I don't think you can hold them at the same time. You can't be nice to the dog and then do something mean or despicable and steal from those people from that, yeah. you know, that thing. So, so I, so she's, I, it's like my security system's just engaged. I leave her in the basket, the bike's there and I leave it. So it's visible for people you know, in front of the shop, in front of a grocery store, these little tiendas in Mexico where I am now, you know, I, I go inside or if I'm in a restaurant and then often, you know, I can sit so I can see what's going on there and I'm looking for, you know, some shade for her to be parked in. Um, so, so far, yeah, knock on wood, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, not a single, not a single even thing where I've felt uncomfortable about it. So that part is, is really useful. And and I think she's safe is the other thing, like from other dogs, they, you know, for her, them to get up, she's in a position of power over top of them. So mm. yeah, no, it works out pretty good. Yeah. So she is a protector. She's not doing it necessarily through barking and growling, but just by being sweet and uh, people fall in love with her. She's, she's protecting yeah. uh, herself and, and your belongings. It actually makes a lot of sense. What about her, you know, most dogs are going to want to follow their owner. Uh, how did, did you train her to just stay in the basket? Cause I always watch it. Like you ran Ryan, the, when you were with Ryan Van Duzer on uh, the Oaxaca dirt tour, uh, the grand dirt tour, it seemed like, you know, she was, uh, out on in the basket on the bike outside of a restaurant. There was a girl that was petting her and y'all went in and you ate and you had your whole meal and then came outside. The girl was still petting her, but does Mira ever want to just, chase you inside or did you train her to just hang out and uh no no if, if she's off leash she'll i mean she's focused on me uh you know you know pretty intently so she'll she'll follow but i think this is a key thing that maybe well i think it's i don't know whether people realize it or not but i think it's really important to say is that a well-trained dog a, a dog that has uh real clear boundaries for that dog and is trained and will behave, you know, follow the commands. They don't speak our languages. They just know the sounds, right? Unless they're border collies, of course, and then they probably know 300 words. Um, <laughs> but it means you can take them more places and you're less stressed. So it's a better life for them. Um, so yeah, I definitely made a, a point of, of training her recall for her to come when called and to stay or to wait uh when commanded to do so 
And that allows me to do that. If, if, yeah, if the dog, if you're, if my dog wasn't behaved the way she is, it would make this really tough. Um, whether going through yeah. an airport or into a hotel or Airbnb or just someone's home or, you know, going through markets. Like I was riding through a, a market town the other day and, um, yeah, people are looking and it's all close proximity, you know, all the vendors and the people. And yeah, if she wasn't able to manage that, it would be really tough. So I've spent the time training her. Uh, in the younger years, and I just make sure that I keep it really in, it's enforced and it's clear. And and I I have to be I have to do it for her. I have to make sure that I'm consistent, uh, you know, with the with the commands and and uh, with the expectations for her. Yeah, right? I'm glad you touched on that. It's actually something that I, I didn't quite occur to me when I was preparing for this chat. Um, but yeah, obviously having a very very well trained dog. Um, that respects you and y'all have a great relationship is is probably really vital to be able to do this type of travel with your dog. Um, any any good resources out there for the training dogs? Where to go for? Uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's not. It will be live in the springtime, but dogpacking.com <laughs> will be a great resource. We have a uh, an excellent dog trainer who's writing articles for us, and we'll provide some stuff. Um, yeah, you know, I think in your in your t- like wherever you live, there's there are people that uh, make a living providing uh, dog training advice and and courses. Um, I think they're a good resource to look up to as well. I know there's um, definitely some apps and and some you know some people on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, you know, um, Cesar Milan, uh, you know, esque type trainers out there. So yeah, I think the, the key is uh, that I would suggest for people is, is, you know, a, a style that you, that you feel comfortable with. Um, I definitely am a big fan of the positive reinforcement, um, for the, for the dogs and, um, and, and just to be, yeah, to put the time into it, you put the time mm-hmm. into, you know, searching through the internet for the latest titanium piece for your bicycle. Um, you know, I think you should put at, at least that much time into the consistency for training with your dog. If you're going to take your dog, if you're going to have a dog, actually, it just, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's an investment it's into your happiness and, yeah. and theirs too. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. it's, I think it's a responsibility as a citizen uh, in a community to, you know, have your dog well-trained and, and to have control and command of, of your dog. We see instances uh, where, you know, owners aren't as responsible and it causes problems. And, you know, you, I think that's a responsibility that, that we should, uh, adhere to just as members of the, the world community. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I think, you know, I try to, you know, pass through the world and, uh, and I take responsibility for my own actions. I try to be prepared and, and dog training is just, just simply one of those things um, that makes the whole experience that much better. It's, um, yeah, there's, there's, and it's just so stressful if, you know, if you're around a, a, a poorly behaved dog, it's stressful for the dog, it's stressful for the dog owner and for all of those people that have to interact with it. It's, it's also not great. So yeah, I, I'm, I, I definitely think, and that's why, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing, I think partly, or sh- at least sharing the, the, our story a little bit is just a, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we're a pretty good example of, of 
how you can experience different things. It doesn't have to be bikepacking. Like dogpacking could mean going on a paddleboard. It could mean going to the dog park. It could mean, um, you know, you're walking with your kids to the, to the grocery store and, and you're, you're going to pick up some, you know, a few items, um, or even in a car. Like when, when I've had a car, you know, I had a small little van and the dog was in a dog crate and well secured. I think, you know, I think, you know, I don't want them to be a projectile if I get into an accident. So I, yeah, it's sort of a, a holistic way of, of looking at, uh, my time, uh, shared with a dog. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, I think you do an excellent job and it really shows through your videos and your content that you're a very caring and a conscious and a responsible dog owner that is doing it out of place of like genuine love and care and, you know, all the things that you're talking about. It's very sincere the way that that comes across for sure. Okay. Uh, dogpacking.com when when does that when does that launch and how the heck are you creating a website and creating all this content while also you're about to kick off your world tour i don't even know how you're going to do that but uh when can people expect <laughs> to uh to have dig into this topic even at a more granular level yeah thanks so so that that is the, the web address dogpacking all one word.com um typically that term has been you know, a, an amalgamation of, of backpacking or bikepacking with a dog. Um, myself and my partner, uh, Krista Halling, who's a um, orthopedic uh, board certified vet veterinary surgeon, um, and I are collaborating on this website. The, the idea is that that term is no longer just limited to those two sports. It's basically every activity under the sun. And we're, we want it to be a, an inspiration hub. So maybe the kind of things that, that Mira and I are doing or, you know, people go surfing with their dogs or paddle boarding mm -hmm. or, or uh, Canny Cross is getting really popular now where people, it's like skijoring but running. Or I even saw a, um, a dog-human triathlon uh, <laughs> today. And, and I think it was in France, or at least the person with the video was speaking French. <laughs> and... Uh, so all kinds of things or, you know, Frisbee or dog obedience. So there's that, that component, which is the fun stuff that inspires us to get out. And, and at any level is, is what we would say. And then also um, a lot of education. So already we have articles, you know, some people live in areas where there's lots of snakes. So there, we have an article on, on dealing with snakes and possibility of snake bites or, um, if a dog gets a, a little scrape, how to use things like they might not be aware of, but raw honey to end wound management or the risks and dangers of, um, of, uh, you know, algae in algae blooms in water, depending on where you are in the world, that can be, be an issue or taking your dog to high altitude or high elevations. If you're, you know, if you're traveling to see your friends in Colorado could be an example. I know people, you know, they're going to have a, you know, an effect by that, but how, you know, what to expect from your dog is smaller and maybe some of the, they're not going to say, Hey, my appetite's not so good, or I have a headache or this kind of thing. So a lot of, of, of science-based information, and we're working with um, a variety of, of vet specialists, whether they're ophthalmologists or, or surgical specialists or rehab specialists and different NGOs um as well so a lot of science-based information and, and all that fun stuff 
some gear reviews, those kind of things. Um, and that's all going to be in, in one hub and it's all free for the user just to, to come and, and, uh, and just gather that information so they can have a greater experience, a, a more adventurous experience. And all we, all we say is that we just want, uh, better adventures with your dog. That's, mm -hmm. that's it. Just, just better, you know? Better. And, uh, yeah. and, and, uh, I think everyone would like it to be better for them. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. So that's, that's dogpacking.com in a, in a nutshell. When do you hope to, to launch it? That'll be this spring. Um, so, so probably March we'll, we'll see that. So we're, we're busily, uh, you know, formatting content on the website now and, and, uh, you can sign up even now. You can sign up for the for the newsletter, but the website will be uh, will be live uh, in in March. Yeah, and there's there's Inst Instagram is out there now, so it's uh, slowly slowly, um, yeah, more and more content for people Good. to to enjoy. Yeah. So before that launches, um, and people are interested in going dog packing or just having a better outdoor experience with their dog, uh, what would you do? You have like a top tip or top, like your, your number one piece of advice for anybody who's looking to maybe go dog packing or just go adventuring with their dog? Uh, yeah, the, I think the top tip is, is to, um, let the dog set your, if you have expectations, let the dog set those for you. Um, it's real. I think it's like, you know, you have kids, I think you said like, it's, it's really easy to have these grand goals that you that you want to accomplish um i think the priority is is to you know just make sure that your your dog is is healthy and happy and and uh, uh, tailor the experience to them because we all we know our dogs some dogs aren't you know um ready to run as much as mira's mira is for example um you know if you have a little pug um, you know, they're not going <laughs> to run. <laughs> they're going to be cute as hell, but they're not going to yeah. run as much as she is. So and you can yeah, carry just, it just, more easily because it's lighter. So there's an advantage there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some dogs don't like water as much as other dogs or, or those kind of things. So that's, that's all I would say is just, um, um, right. adjust your expectations to, to, to your dog. Yeah. That, that's a good overriding one. Perfect. Perfect. Mira. Oh, is she, is she ready to make an appearance? Well, I'm trying to get her to come over here, but she's, she's, she keeps going outside. I, I think she's going to come here. Yeah. Amy, come here, baby. Hi. Come, on up, 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 up. Oh, come yeah. say hi, Mira. Come say hi. 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 Oh, hey, friend. Oh. I know you from hi. the internet. I know you from the go. internet. The <laughs> camera's, there we go. Hey. She's beautiful. <laughs> she is such a yeah. well-behaved hey. dog. And it, it, I think it just speaks to y'all's relationship and how much time care and attention you've spent developing okay. uh that relationship man she's just she is just such a well-behaved dog it's so it's so impressive yeah it's amazing i yeah. love it and like you said they're very smart so it's really on the owner to take the initiative and and teach uh the dog you know what the boundaries are like you said and and enforce them and be considered the same way you do with kids you know that's my relationship to this is like it's our job as parents to uh, be the enforcer, be the guide, be the leader, and 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 give the pathway, you know, and be consistent with it. Yeah, I think it's it's real. It's it's a it's a whole journey of that that kind of thing to see what you can do. And you know, with with kids, it's obviously uh, 
a deeper, broader kind of thing. But yeah, it probably shares a lot of a lot of similarities to it. I don't know. There's some some people, the way I see them, love their dogs. I I think it's pretty close. I really do. I mean, uh, <laughs> they call them fur babies for a reason. So I think yeah. I think there's a lot of. I, I do. I actually, I don't know. Uh, but I do sometimes wonder like, you know, the love that you have for that animal, how closely does it equate for the love of your child? You know, the love of a child, you know, and I wouldn't surprise me if, uh, some people it's very close. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably, it's, it's probably hard to quantify just to, uh, just to finish that off. It's probably hard yeah. to quantify love and they do say love is love, but, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's a rewarding experience to, to have a, 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 you know, a dog in your life, you know? Um, but that's, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. World tour. Uh, yeah. this, is, this is huge, <laughs> man. I've got, I've got, a, I've got some questions, but first off, I mean, you, you touched on it beforehand, but, um, I know you have a more granular plan. So can you take us through, exactly uh what your overall goal is uh what the overall plan is and and where are you at right now into your world tour catch us up to speed yeah uh, yeah so basically i'm 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 still in the north american continent um um that's been kind of an an ongoing thing we we did have a, a pandemic and the world gone crazy for a little while there which sort of um affected that um but over this over this initial time period, like in, including the the tour divide, Mira and I have crossed the United States, north or south, I think six times now, and uh, and we've done you know we've ridden the length of Baja three times, and we've gone you know through Europe and a bunch of other stuff. So so now we're we're or at least I am. <laughs> I don't know if, what her opinion is on it, but. Um, <laughs> In, now I'm really focused. It's it's time. It's if this is going to happen, it's 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 now. So basically, what the project is, and it sort of it started incrementally, and but this is what it what it is now is to um, to I want to ride all seven continents. Um, typically, people ride sort of you know in this orientation around the world, but I mm. kind of want to ride this orientation mm. mostly. But um, so there's there's seven continents that are. That are it's widely accepted there there are seven continents on on this world, and um, I want to ride to all seven of them. So so right now um, I've ridden from Canmore, Alberta, Canada, which is which is where I would call home in, in Canada, um, through the United States and in here to Mexico. We just did a little trip. Videos are up coming up now on the on the Copper Canyons, and then I'm back here in in Oaxaca, Mexico, which is which is pretty far south. And then I'll be riding through Central America um, and then hopefully paddling from Panama into Colombia and then following the length of the Andes down to Ushuaia. So that would be two continents and expect to be another uh, 14 or 15 months to complete the rest of, of this section of it. And then I'll um, return north, uh, ride the length of Europe. And then into North Africa, um, and then that would um, take me to the end of 2026. And then that, and then what I'm planning to do is to return back to Canada for training in the winter time, mainly to 
train sort of systems and and uh, set up on equipment that will um, later be used in Antarctica. So I'm trying a I'm I'm planning a, a fairly um, uh, ad, I guess adventurous is either way sort of um, not sure what the exact word is here, but 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 um, a sizable expedition in Antarctica. It's more than just riding around the pole or ride, riding off the, the boat and, and back. Um, and then during that time period for preparation, I think we might return to the tour divide possibly as, as a, as a form of training. That's initially, that's really what it was in the, this first round anyway. And then, um, whether that's successful or not, uh, our plans in Antarctica, then we would, um, have Australia, Oceania and, uh, Asia as our remaining continents. And, uh, that would take us into 2030 and then we'll, um, return back to Canada. So it's a bit more than a five-year plan. A little um, bit more. Yeah. Starting in 2023. Yeah. 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 So you're and I, and I hope a seven to, year. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then I'll continue to share videos on YouTube and, and posts on Instagram along the way to uh, keep people. And then, and then we have uh, a couple other ways that we want to share it. Um, I have a, a, a Google earth uh, project that I'm going to provide the people so that they can sort of follow along in, in, in a, in a more multimedia way. And, and um, yeah. And so it's, that's what, that's what the, the plan is. So it's, it's, um, Sounds it's easy. too big to think all of in one, but it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just, you know, I'm in Mexico, I'm going to ride through Central America and then, you know, just keep, keep the steps yeah. going. But if I, you know, if you, the plan is there and um, it's been a plan that I've had for a while and I've only sort of just recently made it more public that we're going to do it. And if, you know, it, it, whether someone else wants to do something similar or they've already done parts of this, it doesn't, it, it, that's fine. They can, they can have their own adventure. If we inspire people to do one, if uh, you know, they want to share information with us, you know, I, I've already had, you know, people from Australia or New Zealand or, I've, I've been offered a pint of Guinness in, in, uh, Ireland. Good, um, good. so yeah, it's, it, it's going to be an amazing, uh, amazing adventure, I think. And so, uh, a beautiful learning experience. Oh man, it, this is an adventure of a lifetime, but it sounds like you've already had a yeah. very, a very adventurous life. So this will just be one more kind of feather in the cap, so to speak. So help me understand, like, did you start in Canmore then ride to Banff? And then ride all the way down to Antelope Wells and make the tour divide part of it. And now you obviously continue down uh, down south into Oaxaca. Like, is that the way it's gone so far? Yeah, that that first part's a little bit messy because I've I've started from Canmore and and I have ridden the divide and the Western Wildlands route um, in different seasons, even. Um, okay. But this, yeah, this year basically. Um, started in Banff, um, on the, on the grand depart, we had a, a, a bit of a rough go on, on the grand depart and then came back for a, uh, an ITT challenge on the tour divide about a month later. So rode mm -hmm. that to Antelope Wells. And then, um, I took a little bit of a break and then again, um, actually it was, with it, went to visit a friend in, uh, in Patagonia, Arizona, and then rode over to Antelope Wells. And, um, so this, this 
this leg of the trip will basically be from Patagonia to Patagonia. So I've crossed the border at Antelope Wells and then ridden through Chihuahua over to the uh, Copper Canyons and then ridden through mainland Mexico through Durango and Zacatecas and, and all these beautiful states uh, back here to Oaxaca. And then it's been just coming up on the end of a month here. And then I'll uh, continue through Chiapas and into Guatemala and uh, keep uh, it's most, it's actually mostly East oddly enough from here mm. um, for a, quite a section before we, we start to turn South again. And then I'll go as far as um, a town called Puerto Carti on the Caribbean side of Panama. And then that's, that's pretty much where the road's going to stop um, until I can, you know, it's either by air or by sea that you get across to South America. So we're. Is we're, that, um, so you're referring to the Darien gap that you're trying to avoid yeah, that's and get right. around. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Was there ever any thought that you might try to cross the Darien gap or go through the Darien gap or was it always by air or by sea? I mean, yeah, sure. You like, you know, like there's some adventurous souls that have done it with a motorcycle uh -huh. or a, um, the Jeep cruise. Uh, a Land Rover, a Jeep. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and, you know, like people do migrate through there. Mm. Um, but honestly, of the one type of terrain in the world that I don't like, it's jungle. Uh, it, it, like they sound beautiful and they look beautiful, but the humidity and the swampiness and the bugs. And then their thing is just mirror safety um, mm -hmm. through, through an area like that. So, yeah, on, on the water, um, ideally self-propelled. Um, we're, we're trying to work out the logistics on that right now. Um, yeah, so that, that would be the, be the goal. So it, it was only a yeah. brief... Oh yeah. People do cross the Darien gap, but yeah. Yeah. Great. Right. I had another guest on the podcast, uh, Philip Crosby. Um, and there, there's a, I'm trying to remember the book that he was in, but anyway, it's, it's on the podcast. People can listen to it, but, uh, they, they were riding South, uh, and reached the Darien gap. And it was similar. It's like briefly, they asked a couple questions. They were like, Hmm, that sounds interesting. And that speaks to my adventurous spirit. Uh, but they got on a boat and I think that's what yeah. most people do. And, and there's a lot of good logic and a lot, a lot of good common sense to, to take a boat or, or take a plane. Uh, it seems like. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've made decisions in my life, like around risk. And that's mainly what my work has always been involved in is assessing risk and, and mitigating it. But I've made decisions where I know like the, the outcome the bad outcome is probably death. Um, and, and those are real rare. Like you, you don't take those lightly and nor should you or cavalier. Uh, and I think the Darien gap is one of those places in the world where that that's a real possibility. Um, yeah. you know, with, with the kind of stuff that goes on there these days. So yeah, I'm, I'm much, it's going to be so much nicer to go on a nice sandy beach somewhere and, in the Gunayala, like the San Blas Islands, and and come into Colombia that way, it'll be much nicer. <laughs> yeah, Philip did say that that boat ride uh, was just beautiful and amazing, and he was like, "You, if you yeah. ever get a chance, like take that trip." So it also sounds like just a much better experience and an option uh, from a beauty, a safety standpoint, everything, and plus a different modality of travel. You know, like I've done. 
yeah. uh, uh, pack rafting with like what, whatever with a bike, you know, so put the pack raft on the bike and then you ride to the river and then you get in the Rio Grande and then you put your bike on the boat and you float down and then you, you know, you swap it out. And, you know, as, as human powered adventurers, um, just those different modalities of travel, it's exciting. You know, that's a, that just, it just speaks to me on every level, man. So I dig yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Oaxaca just briefly. Oaxaca is a place that is near and dear to my heart. I went for the first time last, uh, I guess, December, 2022, went back in June of 2023 and, you know, it's easily become my favorite state in the world. I think it's just, it's beautiful. And, uh, in, in Doozer's video, uh, you, you, you were making a comment like, I might not ever leave here. Like I just, I got to Oaxaca <laughs> and I just stopped. Uh, yeah. so, uh, what makes in your experience, like what, uh, what makes Oaxaca so great? Why have you spent so much time there? And obviously you're moving on and it trap you forever, but, but what what makes Oaxaca special to you? Oh man, there's there's a lot of things there. I mean, it, it's sort of the the it's one of the cultural hubs of Mexico. So the the food here, I mean, what we mm. know as as corn uh, originates in this part of the world. Um, you know, in, in just so many different foods, the people, uh, as with almost all, I mean, all parts of Mexico, the, the people are so kind and loving and um, interested and joyous in their lives. Um, even though, you know, economically, like there's, there are real struggles for a lot of people in, in, in this part of the world and throughout the, the country. So there's that, I mean, it's the food, the people. And then for, for someone riding a bicycle, particularly bikepacking, the terrain is nearly perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it, you know, from, I mean, um, I'm just outside of Oaxaca, the, the city, Oaxaca de Juarez. Um, and, you know, I can, I can go out the lane here onto a dirt road um, and basically stay on dirt almost the entire time with some very small step. And I can ride, I think we're sitting here at, um, yeah, 1700 meters. Um, I'm sure you can add the conversions or people can Google this. Um, but the road tops out at 3,200 meters. Um, you know, so I change, you know, I go up, you know, through these, these, you know, a bunch of cactus and sort of scrub type, type terrain and then into oaks and then into uh, a cloud forest full of pines and, and, uh, and air plants. So it's, um, yeah, it's incredible. And then, you know, there's all these little, uh, commodores around. So you can get, uh, you know, little tiny restaurants that are owned by, by local people and you can get, you know, traditional food, uh, you know, at a, at a good price and, and all these market towns. It's just so much here. It's, yeah. it's, it's really rich and, um, and it's easy to get to as well. Like you can fly yeah. out of Houston into Oaxaca. It's a great, it's a lovely, yeah. clean, tiny little airport in and out. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really... And because of the way that the, the country is, like there's sort of this isthmus of, of land that comes through. If, if, you know, throughout the millennia, if any group of people was migrating north or south, this is one of the big valleys they would come through. And so there's a, a tremendous amount of, of uh, history and culture here that's, um, that really informs how people live 
uh, on a day-to-day basis and what they yeah. eat and, and all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so culturally rich and it's uh, present in their art in their architecture, the vibrant colors, the vibrance of the people, the food. I mean, it's just, it's so, uh, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful place. And I think you articulated all those things quite well. One of my favorite stories or reflections from my visit and, and this story is, uh, just representative of, of what you said of like the people who are, even though economically it's, it's, it's a poor region of the world, but everywhere you look, it seems like everybody's happy. And one of my favorite reflections is I woke up early one morning and just walking to go get some coffee and a bagel or whatever, you know, and it's six 30 in the morning, the sun is just coming up and there's three, uh, garbage, garbage men. I don't know what they call them over there, but they, they just have big barrels with wheels that they're rolling down and, uh, brooms that are handmade out of like whatever, you know, natural materials that they made a broom out of. And all three of them were laughing and singing and joking. And they were sweeping the fucking road, man. They were picking up trash, but that interaction or that just observation, I think is indicative of of how those people live their life. They could be working uh, just so hard in grueling environments, but it does seem like they always have a spirit of, of happiness uh, about them, which is infectious. You know, it's, uh, it's just a beautiful people there, you know, and it's so represented in like everything, like I said, food, art, culture, everything. Yeah. And, and it, they express it too, with generosity to strangers. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I'm often invited into people's homes. You know, I was I was camped not far out of Oaxaca when I was riding down here, and a and a and a fellow was was um, harvesting different uh, medicinal plants, and stopped to talk to me, and and then came back later in the evening with you know some drinks and some and some baked goods, and invited me to his home in the morning for breakfast. And, um, and that's not an unusual occurrence here. People are interested and, and generous to, to give, uh, and share. And yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's changed the way that I, it's definitely changed the way that I move through the world and, and experience, um, and share time with other people. So I, you know, I think that's one of the things that I'm getting out of a trip like this that I would never, I mean, it's, it's nice in Canada, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a nice country. It's got yeah. problems like everywhere else, but uh, I don't think I would have learned that only at home, or or it's just too familiar that I it wouldn't have been different enough to then uh, you know be observable to me. You know, sometimes we're too close to a thing and uh, we don't we don't appreciate it uh, how nice it is where we're living. But um, yeah, it's, it's this this kind of travel that that's I, I think that's really why people you know like. There's so many people like the uh, Baja Divide is a popular route, and I and I know there's there's routes within Europe that are super popular for people to go through, and then throughout the entire United States, there's all kinds. I mean, bikepacking is is just a really great way to experience the world. So it's it's um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Oaxaca, I I try to not talk about it on the podcast too much. Uh, Cass Gilbert's done a great job of uh, creating yeah. routes, and it seems like every time I turn around. Like Kate and Andrew Gates from Mulberry Gap, they're there right now, riding with Logan Watts from Bikepacking.com. 
uh, someone left a review on the Angus Morton episode, like an iTunes review. And it, it was just saying, hey, great episode. We're about to, and then just adjacent to that, they were like, we're about to leave for Oaxaca on a bikepacking trip. And it just seems like every time I turn around, uh, someone's going to Oaxaca. I mean, I think I think the secret's out. So uh, I might be part of the problem in letting that secret out. You're part of the problem too. And so is dude. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't fight it. It's all here. I mean, and it's amazing if you're, if you're, like I, how it occurred for Ryan and I, we had ridden a bunch of the, the GDMBR together and we had such a great time. And when, while we were doing it, we thought, I mean, people race this thing, man. Like that's crazy. And we thought, well, maybe we might do it one time. And when we were riding um, the San Jose del Pacifico loop that Cass has published on bikepacking.com, we we thought about that. We thought, well, maybe when I'm done with Argentina, we'll we'll race it. You know, we'll we'll enter at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I once he left, I was like, why am I waiting? This is the perfect place to train for it. The weather is ideal. The terrain is ideal. Um, I'm already here. And I had been delayed. I, you know, I'd sort of I'd waited for the rainy season. Then friends got married, and so and then Ryan came down. So I was here much longer than I had planned. And I thought, well, what's five and a half or six more months. I'll just, I'll stay here and I'll train for the, for the tour divide. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's great. Like don't hide it. People can come on down here and experience it any time of year. Even rainy season is still good riding down here. It's, it's pretty amazing. Well, let's give some people an advice, some advice, including myself. So Natalie and I, my girlfriend and I were, um, we're planning a, a, a bike packing trip this fall in Oaxaca and we're trying to decide on a route and I know you've written both of these so one of them is the San Jose del Pacifico the Grand Dirt Tour uh, which we've mentioned and also that's the uh, video that you and Ryan Van Duzer made together on YouTube it's like a five-part series very well done worth worth checking out for people who are interested and then there's this other route and and the Grand Dirt Tour is the one it seems like everybody does. It's like it seems to be like the holy grail of riding out of Oaxaca, <laughs> uh, specifically yeah. Oaxaca de Juarez. Um, but what about this other one? And I'm gonna butcher the name, so please help me with it. But La Vuelta, La Vuelta a los Pueblos Mancomunados. Fuck, man. Yeah. I'm, so uh, will you I'll say it the right way? Just the tour. Huh? Uh, I would say it's a uh, La Vuelta de Comunidades, or was it Comunidad Pueblos Man Comunidades? Yeah, yeah. I, I've okay. already butchered it. Yeah, yeah they, they can read it on there. I'm in good company. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it depends how much time you have. So, so the way I, I see what Cass has put there, there's a bunch of tours. That's one of them, and there's a few others. There's one uh, right through this village that I'm staying in, San Pablo through uh, an area called Ixtapeje that, that he has up in the mountains. So these both kind of are up in the same area. You could do multiple tours, multiple different loops, and then return back to Oaxaca, um, you know, or, you know, sort of into the region. You can sort of reset and, and do, I think they're, I'm not sure what he has them down there as sort of three-day tours possibly. So you could do a couple of, of three-day tours. Mm-hmm. The, the, the San Jose one is, is a little bit longer. Um, you know, it's sort of typically six, seven days, or if you're training for the tour divide, it's two days. 
Um, <laughs> um, and it's pretty cool because you go through, a, a, again, you, both of these, you, you gain a lot of elevation, but you go through much, you know, m- many more communities in that route. And so you don't need to carry as much food and, and uh, you have a lot of those interactions on a, on a regular basis. Um, but I mean, just stay longer and do them all. That's what I would say. <laughs> I mean, honestly, really, yeah. they're, they're all great. Um, what I would say is definitely have a low range of gears for the climbs and, um, and, and then, uh, and be a little patient on them. And, uh, yeah, you're going to have a great time. Um, that was one of the things I told Natalie. I was like, when we were watching, I were watching the, the video you and Doozer did together. And I said, I told her, I was like, I know Doozer. Doozer is in phenomenal shape. He lives in either Boulder or Denver. Like yeah. he lives at elevation. Boulder, yeah. Uh, and I mean, he is in phenomenal shape as a, as an ultra runner, as a cyclist, a bike packer. And, He's he's struggling on those hills. We live in Texas. We live at sea level. So <laughs> that, that was a good indication of like, yeah, bring some fitness and bring some gears for sure, you know, because the hills are no joke. <laughs> no, they're not. I mean, you you can spend yeah, hours and hours. You could spend your whole day just climbing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, they're really rewarding. Like when you, you know, get to the top or even the little views you get on the way up or there'll be a community part way along and uh, you can stop and get some great food. And, and um, yeah, I, that's a hard one to choose these things. Cass has done a great job. And, and of course the platform bikepacking.com to, to be able to easily download those, put them onto your head unit and follow along. Um, it's great. And, and you could just use them as a, as a template too. Like, you know, right. if you, you can, turn off and and yeah there's just so much to to see down here so yeah you will not choose wrong if you are, have those things to choose from yeah yeah you're gonna have a you're gonna have a great time yeah yeah i'm not yeah i'm not worried and i know that i will go back and i will go back and i will go back and maybe i'll be a cat gilbert and get stuck there one day or maybe i'll be like you and per i you know permanently get stuck there that's my one of my dreams <laughs> yeah. is uh, after I'm done raising kids to, I might, I might find myself there for a considerable amount of time. So I mean, it's not of, a bad place to raise kids. Well, I got ex-wives, so yeah, uh, I got to yeah. convince. Okay. Yeah, I got, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a messy web that would have to, yeah. I not, I just like you considered the Darien gap. I also was like, how can I convince them to all, everybody move to Oaxaca, but uh, we'll have to table that. And there's, there's lots of other cool things to do. And this is a good season of life. And that could be a, a future good season of life. There you go. So speaking about routes, uh, how did you develop your world tour route? And, you know, how, you know, what, what is your, your process? How strict are you to a route? Are you, are you kind of making it up as I, you go, you're like, okay, I'm going to go from here to here. Like, what is your process of, creating this, this route and this, you know, yeah, this massive world tour route. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically like, you know, it's my route to ride and it's not like I, there are any rules, uh, per se that that are set by someone else. Basically, I just wanted to ride as much dirt as possible. I want to go or at least off pavement route. Um, 
and I want to get to all continents. And it and there's also, you know, people have done a lot of work in publishing some really amazing routes. And so when I can use those along the way, but yeah, I'm, I'm basically just doing it in in sections. So it's you know, right now I'm, I'm more or less just riding south, and I'm integrating um, published routes that seem interesting or align with where I'm going. I like to ride more in the mountains than I do maybe in a coastal region. And I'll try and integrate those when I can, particularly if they're a, a point-to-point route. But even if they're a loop, I could do a, a portion of it, um, you know, because that might, you know, bring me into a, a culturally interesting area or some back roads that I might not be able to easily find on my own. Um, but it's really... You know, and, and if there are some some places that are destinations, I'll try to include those. But really, it's the journey. I mean, I love going through a village or or a, even a city early in the morning and seeing people get ready for their days, um, just living their lives. It's just kind of this this really interesting insight into how they live their lives. Um, but I don't necessarily need to go see you know a, a piece of architecture or some kind of some place necessarily. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it really is pretty loose. Um, you know, I obviously followed the, the tour divide route and then, I, um, you know, sort of pieced together my own thing towards the copper canyons. And then even in the copper canyons, there's really not a great published route of, of, of a loop to go and experience that. And even talking to locals, you know, they're, they're sort of, you know, unsure of where, uh, bike packers can go and where they can't go and how that's going to work out mm. for them. So I've just been finding my own way and, and, um, using apps like, like, uh, Kamut and, uh, and map out and Google, and Google earth to, to find my way through. Um, and then it's basically sort of some big, sort of there's, there are some definite beginning and ends to certain sections. So, you know, I was living in, in Canmore, Alberta. So that's been the, the start of the ride. Um, you know, I've ridden the, the Tour Divide. And then there'll be this, you know, route that takes me through Central America. But there will be a, an end to the road, which is, you know, for me, it's going to be Puerto Carti in Panama. And then, um, you know, this little town called Turbo in um in Colombia is kind of like the closest place where the road starts again that I can make it by, by boat. And so from there, then it'll be, you know, I, I want to go to Medellin. I want to go to Cali. I want to go to Bogota. Um, and there's places that I've worked at and climbed at in, in, um, in both Ecuador and Bolivia. And I'd like to see those again. Um, but this time by bicycle, uh, you know, so those kind of things. And then some of the, the big cities, you know, the, the La Paz, the Quito, the, you know, the, um, you know, Lima, Santiago, um, you know, to get into Mendoza. And then, um, yeah, so there are these sort of places where I'll go. And then, um, yeah. And then I'd love to go in, 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 in Europe. There's all these places where I've been invited to go see, and there's, there's places where I've been before. And, um, I'd love to go and, and visit the, uh, the pinion factory in Germany and, and, and those kind of, those kind of things see where some of the bike components, because, you know, they, 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 I think they, they host some tours from time to time. Um, and there's, you know, like the European divide to be able to integrate that. Um, but through North Africa, there's not a, a great wealth of, of routes 
Um, so it's, again, then it becomes, you know, my own exploring. I like going where there's no tire tracks. That, that's mm. really a lot of fun. I mean, I, I think that's the thing about the Baja Divide that always drives me a little batty is just seeing all the tire tracks now. And it's like, everyone's enjoying it. They're loving it. And that part's great. But I like going where there's no tire tracks. Yeah. Um, and you can still find that here in Oaxaca, oddly enough. Um, yeah. the, there's not that many people coming down. So, so yeah, it's, it's a mix of there's places I want to go see and, and, and then routes that people already had done. And I can kind of use those and, and download them and then use them to, and then link my own path, um, in there. And then of course I, I have to, you know, choose places wisely. Um, you know, for Mira, like there's parts of Africa, um, or just other parts of the world that are either culturally not as accepting of, of dogs as, as pets, or there's hazards, you know, other wildlife, for example, okay. right. um, I'm used to, to bears being in the area, but I'm not used to, you know, maybe big cats or, or, uh, you know, other things that you might, might parts of the world or that, that, that might exist. So, so, um, Yeah. It's, uh, it'll be, a, it'll be interesting to see how it develops the, this yeah. route. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of the route is set in stone and how much of it are you figuring out? Like uh, you get to Oaxaca and then you say, okay, now I'm going to plan the next, you know, 500 miles. Like, how are you building the route? I assume you got like a pretty loose idea, but then it, you got to yeah. research each specific one. Local feedback is usually a good way to get that kind of stuff. Like, how are you, how are you, what's that process like? Yeah, local feedback's a weird thing. Um, <laughs> you know, not because, bike packers, right? Or dog packers, so they. No, and and in Mexico, like in a lot of parts of the world, people are pretty provincial. Like they know their own little area, but not in the like cyclists really know the cities they live in, like more than almost anyone else. And and the areas they travel through, they see them at at a speed that allows them to see the detail, but cover great distances. Um, so yeah, what I've experienced is that either people are illiterate when it comes to reading a map, like not everyone can read a map. Mm. Um, they can't read a paper map and, and they, they can't use something like Google very easily. So seeing these colored lines on a, on a small phone screen isn't always that useful. And people sometimes can't identify the roads that they live on in these maps. So you really have to be careful asking for uh, directions. And then what I've also experienced is that people sometimes um, they don't, they're really concerned for your safety. So they don't want to give you advice that could put you at risk. So they're mm -hmm. reluctant to provide you with information to go into areas um, that there might be hazards on. So that, that can be, or they're just wrong, right? Like the, the road's dead flat. And then there's these massive hills where right. you actually go to ride it, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so I ask a, you know, a variety of people, but yeah. So what's going to happen now is I'll probably follow or loosely follow, um, the trans Mexico Southern portion of it, um, to get me to the border with Guatemala. Cause it's going, it's going the way that I, I want to go anyway. And there's, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, leave, a lot of it's on pavement, but I'll, I'll sort of find some more dirt and then, um, I'll use an app like Kamut in Guatemala to, go to the places that I want to see. There are some, um, there are some archeological sites that I want to go visit and I'll plug those in and, uh, use its features to, to then plot a route 
through based upon my fitness level and the kind of riding I want to do or the terrain I want to do. And then I'll take a good look at it and see if I can see it on Google Earth that if it looks, you know, reasonable um, and kind of go like that um, yeah. and through and then, you know, meeting people, they'll recommend going to a place and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds like a real adventure. Areas that I should go. Yeah. A yeah, real it's, adventure. Um, yeah. There's a lot of unknown yeah. <laughs> in the route, but as long as I keep moving forward, that's the main thing. Just keep yeah, on. Adventure starts in the keep unknown. On, keep it on. Adventures yeah. on the other side of the unknown, yeah. right? Yeah. The one place that'll be very different from that would be Antarctica. Yeah. And Antarctica is a much more controlled, regulated situation where, um, you know, there's rescue insurance required. There's flights that are being booked. There's food drops being booked. Um, there's a requirement to, to, you know, to, to phone in, uh, to the, op- to the operator there and, and tell them where you are and what your bearing is, uh, for the following, uh, period of movement. And you, you need to contact them every 24 hours. And after mm. a, a certain period, then a rescue plan would be enacted. Um, you know, and, and food drops are going to be very specific where they are and they're very expensive to have done, you know, all the logistics of that equipment, time, flights, um, that's very regulated. Um, even how you deal with your garbage and, and, uh, your feces, you know, as you approach the pole or it's, um, so that's, that'll be a very different and unique part of the trip. Um, but the rest of it's pretty pretty free form uh, yeah 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 that antarctica section that's i can't even imagine you're a wild man you're a wild man <laughs> i like it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, let's, see. let's talk about your tour divide uh we've yeah. been talking for a while but are you good on time yeah yeah i'm you're fine kick, yeah. you're not gonna kick me off yet all right well, I, I no, wanted man. to hear about your Tour Divide. You are you are the first person to ever complete the Tour Divide as a dog-human team. Are you the first person to ever attempt it that you know of or just the first to complete it? Uh, well, I suspect both. I mean, I, I did, you know, like like you do, you check the internet. Um, uh, Bonnie, who runs the, the Facebook page that sort of talks, uh, you know, Tour Divide and, and GDMBR, and then there's a, a Tour Divide specific Facebook group, and then um, the folks doing the, the tracking, um, they gave us our own color of icon, nice. um, which was super cool, and our own little category on the, on the list. Um, and no one has said, oh, so-and-so attempted this or so-and-so completed this with their dog on this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it appears that that's probably the case uh, as, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell because everything about the Tour Divide is officially unofficial. Right. So it's a, it's a real, yeah, it's a real s- strange entity, um, which, I'm sure, which, which you have explored on, on the podcast. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, it was, it, it was, uh, I did it partly one was just as a challenge, but also, uh, to rekindle my excitement and, and energy around this trip. Um, I was feeling a little flat cause I'd been stationary in, in, in Oaxaca for a while and it did like the, the, all the preparation for it, uh, the event itself, um, 
one of the things I didn't expect was the people that I met during the grand depart, like just the, like what people might not realize if they haven't taken part in the event is just how much effort and energy people put, like people from all over the world, they're taking time off work. They're spending great deals of money to travel there, their equipment, um, you know, uh, negotiation with their life partners with, with work to come and do this, to, to really challenge themselves, to do something that's really hard. And even that's admirable and unique. Um, so it, that's the thing that I was really struck by. I was really in awe of the other competitors that were on the grand depart. I didn't expect that. And that was, um, that was really beautiful to witness just, you know, and people of all fitness levels doing their own thing. Um, you know, obviously not as fast as, as, as the people at the, at the sharp end of it. Um, but yeah, no, that was, it was really cool to, to be part of that. You mentioned earlier, uh, some kind of debacle or a rough start with the grand depart, which forced you to have to come back later and do it as an ITT. Can you talk about what happened? Yeah, I think, um, well, it just boils down to being a newbie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, so I started the, the Grand Depart. I had kind of a schedule in mind, which was pretty aggressive in terms of distance per day. And so our first day ended in Fernie. Um, and, and basically what, what things that were kind of a surprise for me was just how much time I actually spend stopped, like Mira jumping into the basket, which was mm -hmm. probably something that was you know, identifiable during training, but I, ne I never really picked up on it. Uh, like I said, because, you know, people like Ryan will slow down or stop. But when you're, if you're riding near another rider and you get to the top of a hill and they keep going and you stop, all of a sudden you realize. So when it, so like riding to Fernie on that first day, I think it ended up being like, it, it ended up being close to two hours of stop time just for Mira to get into the basket. Mm -hmm. So it's, so that was kind of an interesting thing. Then what, what, also, um, she, because there was so much in and out because of the terrain, she developed a bit of a limp on, mm. on day two. And then, so I just put her in the basket for almost all of the climbs from then on right through until whitefish. And so by the time I got to Helena, I could barely walk. My, my knees were, you know, add 50 pounds to your bike and, and see how your knees, uh, oh, you. you know, start to speak to you. So my knees were in a great deal of pain and I think I would have kept going, but I had a brand new hub, a, um, uh, a silent freewheel hub that seized up during the event as well. And so, um, what it was doing was like part of the, the clutch mechanism in it had failed. It turns out it, it cleared quality control. It's been warranted, but, um, so I, you know, I had this hub that was pushing the drive unit forward, uh, you know, on a regular bike with a derailleur, it just would have ripped the derailleur right off your bike. Um, but the, with the pinion, the ring, and so that's creating more and more friction. And I got down as far as I, I passed through Butte and could see Fleecer Ridge up in the distance, uh, shadowed in rain. And I was like, man, I got this bike that might fail and leave me walking on a bad knee. And Mira at that point had recovered. She was able to get out. And I, and I just thought that this is, this doesn't make any sense, a bad idea. So I, 
I pulled the pin at that point, okay. which at the time it was just, it was just the right decision. You know, I didn't feel bad about it. I was like, well, you know, it's, it's, I can either go and, and, um, and people have made bad decisions about whether and been rescued on the, on the tour divide. Um, and I just didn't, you know, so it was, uh, you know, all things, it's hard to leave an event you put so much time and effort into. And so after recovering a little bit and, and uh, feeling a bit better, I, I thought, well, I do have the time. I've put in the, the, the effort, the equipment is in place. Um, and so I just reset to do uh, an ITT and uh, contacted the folks uh, with the track leaders. And, and um, they're like, yeah, no problem. You can feel free to do it again and turn on your, uh, your inReach. And, um, yeah. So then I went with a much more modest approach, uh, to just finish. And so, um, something approximating about a hundred miles a day, wow. finish the thing and, uh, and be done. So I, but even then every single day, every single day, I learned something new it was about myself or about the setup or about how to manage Mira's energy or, yeah, pretty. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty amazing event. Um, that's that's surprising. That you learn something again. new every single day. In that you've been doing this for a while with other, you know, your other dog, and now Mira. What was so different about the Tour Divide that taught you so much? I mean, I think it's just the intensity of it. Um, you know, like you know how much, you know how to manage your your water. Um, you know. Um, what happens, uh, you know, how much sleep do you need? You know, what, what 15 minutes, you know, laying down, uh, you know, how much better you feel after 15 minutes of sleep, getting back on your bike <laughs> and riding again, or, um, where I put little things on the bicycle. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it just seemed like so much of it, um, uh, meant just my mental approach to riding. Um, all of those things have now changed the way that I approach this ride. I think also, um, feels like, you know, I've stretched myself and I've done hard things in my life, but you know, it just feels like you know, particularly around this, this has stretched, uh, or changed my perception of, of us riding and, and how much I need to be comfortable and, and, um, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, pretty incredible. And then, you know, just seeing the reaction to my body, I was like, you know, trying to eat 300 calories an hour. And, uh, so you, you know, you'd buy these frozen burritos and you're like, yeah. oh, that's 300 calories. And, um, you know, you wait for them to thaw out and, and, um, yeah. And, and so it's, uh, and then just watching myself, uh, I don't do well with sleep deprivation generally, but this event, you, you know, that's, you're going to have some of that. And just seeing how I, how I managed that um, was quite interesting. And then trying to manage the real challenge for me, was managing Mira's energy. So we would get to, you know, a point in the day, say in Colorado, where we've, you can clearly see she's getting tired, uh, which is a rare thing for me to see on a regular basis. And, and then realize, well, if we're going to climb this pass, she's going to be in the basket. Um, and can I, can I manage that? Can, am I going to, you know, am I, my knee's going to act up again or, if I'm, or, or, um, you know, 
of how to how to kind of deal with that. And so it's just problem solving all the time in that wow. kind of thing. So it's uh, yeah, really interesting way to travel. What about your experience of? I, I get the sense through talking with you that you ride primarily. I won't say alone because you're with Mira, but primarily with Mira. Um, what was your experience like? Did you prefer the experience of the group start and having other riders and, you know, mentally I could see it being a little bit of a drag to just see how much more quickly they're traveling versus you are, or did you prefer the ITT? Do you have a, a preference there? Uh, I definitely preferred the ITT, but not for the reason you think. Um, one is like, you know, in my late teens, early twenties, I used to race bicycles, like mainly road and track. And so it's really hard for me not to, to be racing everyone as opposed to going you know, to the clock or metering out my own energy. So that, that also, I think, added to our problems um, during the grand depart. Um, but the other thing which was really challenging for me to manage was just the outpouring of interest and love for us on the event was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, in, in Helena was probably the apex of it um, cause we didn't, you know, we didn't continue much past that anyway, but you know, there were people on the side of the road, you know, they had signs. Um, I was with some other riders in a restaurant and, uh, people came into the restaurant. Um, I grabbed a hotel in town that night. People came to the hotel. <laughs> there was signs like the next day, like even at like six in the morning, people are out there uh, cheering us on and, and, uh, yeah, that was pretty intense. And then, you know, like, um, uh, uh, his name just escapes me at the moment. Um, there was an excellent, uh, recap on YouTube, um, for the event. Um, Oh, Josh is this? Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, he's doing a great job. And I think video number three, I it was so funny that I've seen, which is, that, you know, the, the race has developed. There's, you know, three people contesting for the sort of the very front end of, of the event. And it seems like that'll be what will continue on. And, uh, but he says something like, but no one cares because they all want to know how Mira and John are doing. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought that was adorable. That was, that yeah. was great. So, so that was, yeah. So the, uh, the ITT was much easier from that kind of output to manage. Versus yeah. the 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 grand depart, but there's there's something special about you know because you, you got to manage all the logistics. You come into a town and you think you're going to grab a hotel, but if you're a mid pack rider, the hotels are booked, right? Mm -hmm. These, even a town like Fernie, for example, like there there's it's not just tour divide riders coming through; it's regular business. And if you're in a you know a small town like you know Eureka, Montana, or you know any any of these towns along the tour divide there's a good chance the hotels are booked um so you know being able to manage that on your own is is uh it's not easy um, yeah yeah you know sometimes what you just want to shower your, uh, in a bed oh god i can only imagine yeah what uh what was your official time what's what's the uh, that's a really good question packing the tour divide? i think we i think we are we're i think we're 28 days and change we did i think we averaged it ended up being 96 miles a day i think is was the average okay. um we had a couple sort of lost days with a with a, a damaged tire and then a, a short day around out of helena um but and you know then a bunch of days that 
that were in excess of 100 miles to try and get closer and closer to, to that. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's over 27 days, but but not a lot over. Um, Do you have a? So, yeah. uh, you you said you learned a lot from this experience. Uh, it was you know you said every day you learn something new. So uh, I think you said it was. Do you say 2020? When when did you say you're going back? 2026 or 2027? And I'm wondering, like, 27. You, what, yeah. So I'll be, in the, I'll be in the winter time in Canada and then probably do it. You know, I'll make a little training camp uh, somewhere warm <laughs> to get ready for the event. Um, but yeah, I'd like to do it again. Um, and what do you have a ride goal, a time goal, or, or what would be your goal for that, the next attempt? I mean, I would love to do it, um, you know, in less than three weeks, you know, sub 21 days, sub 20 days. I'd like to be, I'd like to be of a time that is respect, that is respectable for a fit rider without a dog. That's where I would right. like to be. Um, yeah. But I'm going to be a few years older. Um, so yeah, who, who, who know? And Mira will be older. Um, but you know, the, the main goal of course will be to finish it, to finish it with a decent style and to, and to, to uh you know embrace the experience of doing something hard i think that's a you know that's a a, a good thing to do so if we yeah. the process is probably more important than the end goal um in the whole thing so it, it like even you know it, it, i learned so much on that first round that i could use in the second round um it never felt like a failure um and i, and I think uh, in the past i may have you know, viewed something like that as a failure. Um, but I no longer do, uh, which is pretty awesome. It's, it's pretty freeing actually. Um, so, so yeah, Yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. As you get older, at least as I've gotten older, I've stopped and I talked about this on another, I was interviewed for another podcast and we got into this topic, but if you start to look at failures as not failures, but opportunities to learn, then they really aren't failures. They're only failures if you choose not to take action on whatever you learn from that experience. But it, it, failure is just a teacher. That's an opportunity to learn what you were you were blind to, what you didn't know, where you needed to train, whatever it may be. But in that way, it's it's not a failure. The failure is if you don't do anything with the information that you gathered from that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much of that in life where people, you know, like whether it's self-help industry, people are just gaining more and more information. But if you don't actually do a thing, um, it's just an imagining of it. And, and it, and it would just, it just sucks to go through your life counting up all the number of failures that you have because you didn't continue, um, trying to find a way through to find a solution. And that's where the, where the magic and the joy happens, right? You know, you you get a, a a mechanical or upset stomach on one of these rides, or, you know, my case, I could have a a visa issue or, or, you know, I don't have the right documentation for mirrored across the border, even though stray dogs are passing (laughs) throughout the day, I I somehow need to have documentation for mirrors vaccinations to cross the same border. Um, yeah, I'm just going to adapt and learn and, 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 and sort it out. And, um, I'm very confident if you just approach it in that way, that, um, more things will work out in your favor than, than not. Um, Absolutely. 
Yeah. You know? So yeah. it only it only stops working out if you stop moving forward. And then, you know, but other than that, it's just a part of the process. It's a part of the journey. It only stops yeah. when you yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel really good that we, that, you know, we, yeah, we, we reset and we, we didn't finish the event, but that we started again. And I was lucky that I, you know, that I've made choices to be able to provide myself with that time and those resources. But, but yeah, I mean, it would have been easy for someone to go throw their teddy in the corner and pout and uh and not do it but um yeah it's it's that that's you know something that uh, i'll take with me throughout this trip too we'll just continue moving forward absolutely i love it john uh tell people where they can follow you you're on youtube you're on social media uh, people are going to want to watch all your videos and they're going to want to follow you on your world, world tour so where can they find you yeah please thank you um so we are on Instagram in two places at Mira La Pera with little underscores between the words. So that actually translates to uh, Mira or look the dog, uh, Mira the dog or Omni Tierra, one word um, on Instagram. And then they can also find us on uh, either through the link in the bio on Instagram or go to YouTube and it's Omni Tierra is the channel. Or if you, search dog packing you'll come up with us <laughs> and um and now our latest endeavor is going to be at dogpacking.com so this spring they can uh find out you know how it is that we do what we do and anything else that you want to find out about about your dogs you know about health issues or or inspiration for um dog activities then uh dogpacking.com is is a great place to go so yeah those are the, those are the three main four main places to come and come and see what we're doing yeah i love it i i genuinely i i love what you guys are doing uh you're putting out great content it's uh you can't not fall in love with mira it's impossible yeah. and uh and with you as as her owner like i i said the the bond that y'all have is is really special and it, it really comes through in, in your content. And, you know, I'm, I love, uh, showing people unique ways to live their life and unique ways to adventure. And, uh, you're certainly in that category. So I appreciate everything you're doing, man. I, I, uh, and equally, I, I enjoyed this chat. It's been great chatting with you. I thank you for coming on the show and sharing all your expertise and your time and, and your stoke with, uh, with me and my audience. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, likewise. And, and um, I know other guests have said this before, but but uh, the platform that you're providing and the way that you're providing it here is, is pretty amazing, like for someone to consume the content and, and it's been enjoyable to be here on the podcast and, and uh, yeah, to be included in, in the alumni of, of this podcast is, uh, I was like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's impressive. So um, yeah, thank you for this. Well, I think I, what I hope I do is showcase the different modalities of way to access the outdoors. And so um, that's important to me, whether you're going fast or whether you're going slow or taking your dog or taking your kid, showcasing the different ways that you can access the outdoors uh, is something that's really passionate, uh, important to me. So you're definitely, uh, you're in the upper echelons there, my friends. So uh, I'd say you're in good company on the podcast and yeah, it's been, it's been enjoyable. I'll, I'll look forward to watching you on your, uh, your adventure and uh, certainly wish you like best travels, man. Uh, it's it's going to be yeah, quite the you. adventure. And 
I'd love to have you back on, uh, maybe at one of some different stages during your, your tour. And, uh, you know, I don't know, we can chit chat about how that might look, but I'd love to, to touch base with you again, once you're kind of deeper into this or, um, yeah, I mean, it's several years, so we could, we could probably have a couple different conversation over the years if, if you were keen on it. Yeah, I'm super keen on it. We'll, uh, we'll make sure that Mira gets some more screen time as well yeah. for, for people that want to see that she really exists. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, John. Well, enjoy your day, man. And uh, we'll talk to you again one day, hopefully soon. Yeah, super. Thanks for your All time. Right. I appreciate it. Good times. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. And another big shout out goes to John and Mira for coming on and sharing their wealth of information and their inspiration with us. And again, I wish them safe travels and fun travels in their tour across the world. Now, the astute listener among you may remember that today's episode was supposed to be with Jambi Jambi. But we were uh, scheduled to record an episode, and a couple hours before, uh, she messaged me and said she was in the hospital. Because if you don't know, she is uh, she was at that time in labor and giving birth to a child. And she had said, you know, I think I'm going to be busy around 8 a.m., but I could probably do it a little bit later. Uh, so I'm interested to get the behind the scenes to see if she was planning to do it from the hospital or what she was thinking. But I'm happy to report that there is now a baby Jambi in the world. And I am so happy for her. I'm wishing her all the good thoughts and hoping that she's doing well and enjoying being a new mother. And we are definitely going to be recording that episode in the future, but obviously I'm not gonna put any pressure on that to happen at any time. So I told her whenever she's ready, I am more than excited to chat with her. And I know that she's excited to come on and chat too, uh, but I'm not sure exactly when that episode is going to air. So that's something that we'll all just get to look forward to in the future. Well, I appreciate you being here. If you enjoyed today's episode and you would like to support this podcast, the best way to do that is by signing up to be a sustaining member over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death, where you can sign up to support the show for as little as a dollar a month. And I say it all the time, but we cannot produce these episodes without your support. We have 312 patrons currently supporting the show, and they make up the lion's share of financial support to produce these shows. So I really appreciate that. And if you would like to help support our efforts, support the podcast and support what we're doing, Patreon is a great way to do that. Another great way to support the show is through our affiliate links. I spent some time this last week adding some new affiliates to our affiliate page. So if you'd like to check those out, you can go to bikesordeath.com and at the very top of the homepage, there is a link for our affiliates. Some of those affiliate links include discounts special for you, the listener, but no matter what link you click, every time you use one of our links, a small commission is sent to Bikes or Death and we really appreciate that. So if you're thinking about doing some shopping, that's a great way to get new bike or outdoor gear for yourself and support the Bikes for Death podcast. Mostly, I just want to thank you all for being here. It is an absolute pleasure, and I can't wait 
to be back in your podcasting feed with another amazing episode very soon. Until then, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself just a few miles bikes oh death bikes oh death